Hi guys, it is holiday season. I feel like October, November, and now December are flying by. It's already the 5th of December. Where has 2021 gone? It is almost over. And if you're like me, I'm a little stressed about shopping for my family members and not so much my mom or dad, but certainly the friends in my life that are my age who are into like hip, cool, different things. And I'm looking for a unique way to do stocking stuffers or something that I can't get locally. And I think I may have an answer for you. If you like, if you're like me, I have friends that like to kick back, maybe have a little, um, a little smoke, or even an edible if they're not smokers. And I think that this is a really good solution. You guys should check out Mag's Atomic Edibles. Um, so this website, again, the website is magsae.com or magsae.com. Uh, they can handle all of your edible needs. They have lemonade, they have pre-rolls, they have brownie bites, they have cookies, uh, cereal bars, as well as gummies. And they also have a variety pack if you want to try a little bit of everything and you aren't really sure. They also, for those of you who like to make your own edibles, have atomic butter or bases that can be used in other things, which is super, super dope to me. Um, so go check them out. Um, again, it is Mags AE, which is Mags Atomic Edibles. Um, that website is magsae.com, M-A-G-S-A-E, Dot com And now through the end of the year, if you use promo code HYBER, you can save 40% on any order. Again, that's magsae.com, magsae.com, mags atomic edibles, and use promo code HYBER, H-Y-B-E-R, to save 40% on any order. And if you follow him on Twitter or Instagram or leave him a comment, let him know that V from Murder V Wrote sent you. And let's get into the show. So I wanted to do a different episode this week, but I decided because we had a versus, and for those of you who don't know, it is basically a kind of now it is a production put on where they have two separate artists or producers or writers come on and perform their best songs or talk about stories behind their songs and the music. Uh, and it started out on Instagram Live as something during the pandemic lockdown, and it's kind of evolved into this bigger um production that you can watch on like Triller and all these other places besides um, just IG Live. Um, so the latest people to be on Versus were Bone Thugs and Harmony and Three Six Mafia. And during the Versus, Busy Bone had a bit of an outburst and, and a fight broke out. And I saw a lot of people kind of tweeting and saying, you know, oh, he's crazy. And it's always him that has like these outbursts. But I thought it was interesting that nobody really knew that he had suffered a lot in his childhood and a lot of trauma that it does not seem that maybe he had gotten help for or resolved. Again, I'm not a psychologist, so I can't speak to what help he has or hasn't gotten. But what I did want to do is shed a light on some of the things that very often go untalked about or unspoken of, particularly with black males and in the black community, um, this idea of child abduction and rape or molestation, especially with young boys, they're taught to, to internalize that and push it down and not talk about it or get help. And a lot of times that comes out as adults in, in many different ways and forms. And so I really wanted to shed a light on that, but talk specifically about Busy Bone's story, which he's told in a few places, but not really a lot. And I think it is an interesting thing to kind of have that backstory about someone who 
we really try to give our flowers to or give their flowers to while they're here because he was a part of one of the biggest, you know, rap groups and, you know, it, it, one of the biggest things to come out of Cleveland at that time. So I think it's fascinating that more people don't know about the story, but also I think it is a testament to sometimes the ways in which we think that people that are famous or rich don't have problems or that, you know, bad things can't happen to them when in fact bad things can happen to any of us. But I think it is really a testament to him that he has been able to overcome those things and move forward. And so I think the place that I want to start here is really the intersection of two stories. So in order to tell Busy's story, I think we have to start with talking about another abduction that didn't end as well. So this episode is the story of two abductions that ultimately brought together a group of people that were able to bring Busy Bone home. So at the time, he was just known as Brian Anthony McCain II. But to start with, I think we have to talk about the abduction and murder of Adam Walsh. So that is where we will start. And I promise I will tie it all together and we will see how Adam Walsh's abduction and murder and his dad's tireless pursuit of justice for his child come into play. And as always, this is Murder, Be Wrote, and I am your host, V. On July 27, 1981, six-year-old Adam Walsh went with his mother, Revae, on a shopping trip to the Hollywood Mall in Florida. Um, so they go to Sears, and Revae sees that there's a setup, I guess, for some type of video game in Sears, and there are older kids playing it. And he wants to, Adam wants to stand there and watch and possibly have a chance to play. And Rebe doesn't think anything of it. She thinks, well, it'll be fine. So she walks two aisles over. And in the time that she's gone, a fight breaks up at the video game. And the security officer for Sears puts everyone out of the store, including six-year-old Adam. Reve, who maybe went over, again, two aisles and was gone three minutes, doesn't hear the ruckus and doesn't realize that Adam has been put out the store. And when she goes back to look for him at the video game display where she left him, all of the children are gone. She goes outside, she looks around, she goes back to the security officer, and that's when the security officer tells her that all of the children were put out of the store, including six-year-old Adam. Well, Adam is nowhere to be found. As it would turn out that Adam would be found two weeks later with his head discovered in a drainage canal. And to this day, the rest of his body has never been found. 
it took countless years and a dauntless, dauntless, dogged, dogged fight and investigation by Reve and Adam's father, John, to find out the truth that he was murdered by Otis Toole many, many years later. But in the wake of his son's death, something amazing happened. John Walsh set up the Adam Walsh Resource Center that was dedicated to helping families with missing children. And in 1983, they created a film called Adam that was a film about his son's abduction. And it was broadcast and watched by 38 million viewers in the U.S. in April of 1984 and in April of 1985. The film was then reshown on national TV. And following its broadcast, photos of missing children were projected on the screen with different children being at the end every time. And this was accompanied by an information number that you could call if you knew who any of these children were. Well, one of the images that was included at the end of this this made-for-TV movie was a four-year-old Brian McCain, who we all know is Busybone. So... Three years earlier, Brian's stepfather bundled up him and his sisters, Hope and Heather, and put them into the car while their mother was at work. Um, The mother, Roseanne Jefferson, was at work, and he told the kids that their mother and their grandmother had died and that they were going to go and start a new life. Obviously, that was a lie. Uh, Byron moved the children through different cities. Um, He would change hotels and cars frequently to evade capture. The children were starved and often approached children on street, approached strangers on the street, begging them for food to survive. Um, There is one point where where Busybone is, is recalling his abduction, and I will actually post a clip of that later in the show but he talks about having to go up to essentially strangers or he would go up to women who were eating and he would ask for like a bite of their food or if he could have the leftovers or the fries or what was left on the plate because they were literally starving so their stepfather would move the kids all around um they were tortured and beaten And it was just bad all around. I I do not know why he would abduct the children and then kind of go on the run without any plan. But uh, Busy Bone does does mention that his stepfather was, you know, college educated. He, in fact, played in the NFL and he was able, you know, and he was very smart and charming. So he was able to appear, you know, truthful and honest and people trusted him and he was able to kind of game the system and work the system um, and make it look as if the children were supposed to be there, even though they were living in horrible conditions and squalor. They eventually ended up settling on a native American, um, reservation in Oklahoma and what happens is that at some point they are left alone with a friend of his stepfather's and the stepfather's friend left them unattended and he was sexually assaulted by one of the other children that were in the home not a child his own age but maybe a bit older 
And it's something that he talks about himself. And again, I will, I will put that in the show for you to listen to um, for yourself, but I will give a trigger warning um, that before we play that, but I want you to hear that story in his own words. Um, so the entire time they're moving, they get to the, they're, he, these being, they're being regularly tortured. They're being sexually assaulted and beaten. Um, and then they're, and then the sexual molestation by the son of one of his stepfather's friends. Um, all the while the children are unaware that they've actually been kidnapped, um, and that their mother was searching for them. So, their father had them at the Native American reservation. They essentially settled in. This was a much better life for them than they'd been experienced. Just keep in mind, they'd been on the run, living out of the car and motels and homeless shelters. And eventually they settle here and they are told at the school to use their first name, but their last name is Jones. And they just start this new life. They are really unaware that nobody, that anybody is looking for them because they've been told that their grandmother and mother died and that this was, this was the new normal for them. So they go about their life and they don't know that the mother Roseanne Jefferson is looking for them. And by this time she has enlisted the help of the FBI as well to try and track him down. And this is when she links up with Adam Walsh Resource Center and Adam's father, John Walsh, who we all know from America's Most Wanted and on the case. Um, he's really become kind of a fixture as far as true crime and, and helping solve crimes and getting people home to their families. And it is just amazing that he was able to take that grief and turn it into something so much bigger than himself. And it had was instrumental in actually bringing these kids home and reuniting them with their mother. But before we get into that, I would like to talk to you about the psychology of child abduction, specifically in America and kind of in some other places. So we all know what abduction and kidnapping is. Um, but I will say that normally stranger kidnappings are pretty uncommon. The most common type of kidnapping is parental child abduction, where the non-custodial parent um, takes unauthorized custody of the child or a family relative does without parental agreement um, and is contrary to the family law ruling. Um, so just how common is parental child abduction actually in 2010 alone there were 200,000 of them uh this often occurs when parents separate or begin divorce proceedings a parent may remove or retain the child from the other seeking to gain an advantage and expecting or pending child custody proceedings because of the parents fears of losing the child or the parent may refuse to return the child at the end of an access visit or may flee with the child to prevent the access visit or fear of domestic violence or abuse. Uh, parental child abductions may result in the child being kept within the same city, within the same state or region, within the same country, or sometimes it may result in the child being taken to a different country. In Busy Bones case, they are from Cleveland and ended up being taken all the way to a Native American reservation in Oklahoma and many, many places in between. So they were on the run for almost two years. Uh, but this is actually um, 
an anomaly in cases because most parental abductions are resolved fairly quickly. Studies performed for the U.S. Department of Justice's Office, uh, Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention reported that in 1999, 53% of family abducted children were gone less than a week and 21% were gone one month or more. Um, parental abduction can also be characterized by some as child abuse when seen from the perspective of the kidnapped child. International child abduction occurs when a parent, a relative, or an acquaintance of a child leaves the country with the child in violation of their custody degree or visitation order. Um, another related situation is retention where children are taken on an alleged vacation to a foreign country and are not returned. Um, so basically, to put that in layman's terms, it would be the equivalent of your non-custodial parent saying, oh, we're going to go to Mexico for two weeks, and then they just never take you back home. While the number of cases, which is over 600,000 a year, consists of international child abduction, it's pretty small in comparison to domestic cases, and they are often the most difficult to resolve because it involves, you know, conflicting international jurisdictions. Uh, Two-thirds of international parent abduction cases involve mothers who often allege domestic violence. So even if there is a treaty agreement for the return of the child, the court may be reluctant to return the child if the return can result in the permanent separation of the child from their primary caregiver. So basically, a lot of times these children are taken, um, and it's just because the primary custodial parent may feel that they are in danger. So obviously that is very different from what's going on here. Uh, I also want to take a moment to talk about uh, other types of abductions that are not parental, um, like in this case. Uh, so we have abduction by strangers. This is the stereotypical version of kidnapping that we see in movies, um, like kidnapping for ransom. Um, a prime example of this and something that I will cover at some point on the show is the Lindbergh baby kidnapping in which the child is detained, transported somewhere, and then held for ransom or with the intent to keep the child permanently. But these are very, very rare instances. And that is why they are so familiar to us in our minds because they get so much attention because it is very much, and I cannot stress this enough, an anomaly in the terms of the types of abductions that are most common. The earliest nationally publicized kidnapping of a child by a stranger for the purpose of extracting a ransom payment from parents was the Poole case in 1819, which took place in Baltimore, Maryland. Margaret Poole, who was 20 months old, was kidnapped on May 20th by a 19-year-old Nancy Gamble and secreted away with the assistance of Marie Thomas. On May 22nd, the parents placed an ad in the Baltimore Patriot offering a $20 reward for Mary's return. When the child was recovered through the efforts of the members of the community who conducted a search, it was revealed that the child had been badly whipped by Gamble, and both the women were tried for kidnapping and found guilty. Obviously, the motive for the crime was demonstrated to be financial. Um, she kidnapped the child with the intention of waiting for a reward to be offered and then will return the child and collect the money. And this is very often the technique that is favored by many ransom kidnappers before the use of rents, like written ransom demands became like the favored method. So basically when people started kidnapping, because apparently that is something that's been going on since the beginning of time, 
they would just wait for someone to notice their child was missing. And then they would place an ad in a paper saying, if you return our child, we'll give you X amount of money, no questions asked. And this was before they would just start sending notes for ransoms. Another thing is children abducted for slavery. Um, in 1597, Elizabeth I of England licensed the abduction of children for use as chapel workers in theater performance. And there are reports that abduction of children to be used or sold as slaves is also still common in parts of Africa. Um, and then a very, 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 very small amount of abductions result from, in most cases, women who kidnap babies or other young children to bring up as their own. These women are often able to ha unable to have children or are miscarried and are seeking to satisfy their unmet psychological need by abducting a child rather than adopting. The crime is often premeditated with the woman often simulating pregnancy to reduce suspicion when a baby suddenly appears in the household. So I cannot think of the name and I will try to look that up, but that is actually pretty common. Not, I shouldn't say pretty common, sorry. It is not common, but there was a case in the news um, a few years back where a child was abducted from the hospital by a nurse and the nurse just disappeared and raised the child as her own for 18 some odd years before they were eventually able to track her down and figure out what had happened. Um, now, obviously, there are quite a few safeguards in place at hospitals for infants so that that does not happen. Uh, but it is still amazing um, that she was able to do that. And then there are a few other instances where women who are pregnant are lured to someone's house with the promise of, you know, baby clothes that they want to give away, or I'm selling this stroller I didn't use, or I just want to help, you know, low income mothers. And so they invite the person over to their home and then they murder them and cut the baby out to raise as their own. Obviously, this is a very small amount of cases, maybe a handful that I can think of in recent memory. Um, obviously, these people are suffering some kind of some kind of 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 issue that would make them think that murder is a good way to get a baby and they also as i mentioned before they often um pretend to be pregnant or say that they're pregnant and then you know after eight or nine months you know it, it, you have to pay the piper right there there has to be a baby you said you were pregnant this whole time so you have to be able to produce a baby because what else are you going to say that you faked a pregnancy for eight or nine months? So they go to great lengths to lure these women to their homes to murder them and take their children, which is crazy when you think about it, but it does happen. So another one that I think we're all very familiar with, um, and I think a lot of people are on the fence about what did or didn't happen there, um, is the disappearance of Madeline McCann, who was a three-year-old girl who disappeared from her bed in a hotel in Portugal in 2007. Uh, so in 1998, as a joint venture with the International Center for Missing and Exploited Children, uh, the Global Missing Children's Network was started, and it's 
a way for countries to connect, share best practices, and disseminate information and images of missing children to improve the effectiveness of missing children investigation. Uh, the network has about 22 member countries. I'm not going to name them all, but they include the United States, United Kingdom, um, Argentina, Brazil, Germany, Greece, Ireland, Mexico, uh, Ro uh, Romania, Russia, Serbia, South Africa. So a bunch of different places. Um, so I think that that's a wonderful thing and a good resource. But certainly in the United States, we have our own things as far as stranger abductions like the uh, Amber Alert uh, that is put into place as well as the silver alerts that they have for older older people who may have been abducted have gone missing so over time we've gotten way better about the ways in which we protect children and um, the ways in which we handle kidnappings but it is still um, we still have a long way to go and certainly when this happened in 1985 we didn't have an Amber Alert. And, you know, if your child was missing, you just kind of had to hope that the police and the FBI did their thing and did their job. So it was amazing that they were able to recover these children that way. Um, but let's get back into that part of things. So let's pick up where we left out. Um, the McCains are now living in Oklahoma. They are being taken care of. They have a home now. Um, they are going to school, uh, but they're using the last name Jones so that nobody knows who they are. Um, so Brian and his sisters, Hope and Heather, are with their babysitter and they're curled up on the couch. The babysitter is watching this uh, made-for-TV movie that was shown nationally um, called Adam that we talked about. And at the end, she sees the picture of Brian or busy. And she's like, what is going on? And she recognizes him and she alerts authorities. So the next day, she contacts the FBI or the she contacts, I shouldn't say the next day, she contacts the FBI and the police and authorities. And the next day when the children are at school, they are called out of their classes and into the office. And there are officers there and school administrators and officials. And they're asking them all these questions. You know, well, what is your name? What is your real name? And Brian, Brian is adamant that his last name is Jones. And, you know, because they've been conditioned to do this for two years, you know, this is, they think that they're supposed to lie. Um, one of his sisters finally cracks and tells the truth and says, it's okay to tell the truth. And he does. And so after she tells the truth, they are reunited with their parents. Now, keep in mind, he was abducted when he was four. They are on the run and are not reunited with their mother until he is seven. But I wish that that was like a happy ending to the story. Um, but he had a traumatic journey after that. Um, his mother remarried and her new husband was physically abusive to both her and the children, which culminated in her deserting the family. And he went on to be placed in foster care, uh, which in some way gave him a period of stability. And he talks about the fact that, you know, the person that took him in foster care was you know, integral and kind of helping him get his, his life together and, and move on and, 
and kind of give him that stability and quality of life that he hadn't had. So at 13, he moved to inner city Ohio. And when he met his future bandmates at 15, he really began to turn his life around. And in 1997, uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony, as we know all of them, uh, got won a Grammy for their single Crossroads. Uh, Busy said of his childhood experience, you've got to let it go or it's going to torment you for the rest of your life. Tell that demon to leave, end quote. He credits his rescue entirely to the work of John Wall saying, who knows where I would have been. It's time somebody thanked him from the bottom of their heart. Walsh, as I said before, has dedicated his life to working on the behalf of missing children. Um, his political lobbying led to the, the Missing Children Act of 1982 and the Missing Children's Assistance Act of 1984. He also works as a victim's rights advocate and a criminal investigator. And the show that I was telling you that he hosts now is In Pursuit with John Walsh. And you can watch that on the Investigation Discovery Channel. And so now that I've gotten all of that out of the way, I am going to leave you with um, an, ex an excerpt of the interview that Busybone did where he is discussing this in his own words. So the next voice you'll hear is Brian's as he is discussing what happened to him. Five missing children. Some of them have been found because of you. In 1983, seven-year-old Brian McCain was one of the dozens of missing children whose pictures were shown at the end of the made-for-TV movie about Adam Walsh. Because someone in Oklahoma recognized his picture that night, Brian and his two sisters were rescued and returned to their mother. <laughs> That was 19 years ago. This is Brian McCain today. He's known worldwide as Busybone, a core member of the multi-platinum Grammy Award-winning group Bone, Bugs, and Harmony. But despite his phenomenal success, memories of the abuse he suffered as a child at the hands of his abductor are still vivid and painful. Who abducted you and your siblings, and how old were you when that happened? Byron. Byron abducted us. Byron McCain was his name. Um, was my mother's ex-husband and my older sister's father. I was five years old when he abducted us. He took us. He took me and my sisters. He got us in the car, and he drove away, and we never turned around. He told us our mother was dead. He told us our grandmother was dead. And we were moving on with our life, and we started on our trip, hotel to hotel, you know, city to city, from broke down car to broke down car, not having nothing to eat, walking up to old ladies and in rest areas and telling them that me and my sisters were hungry because we have a bite of their food. And before he was finally rescued, Brian went through something else no child should have to go through. My sisters had gotten dropped off somewhere, and I wound up at someone else's house with Byron. Never seen him before in my life. He told me to go upstairs and to take a bath. Some, somebody's son. He had to be 11, 12 years old. And we went upstairs to take a bath and we went in that bathroom. The kid told me things that no other kid should tell another kid. No other kid should ask another kid to do. You don't inquire about a child's private parts. You don't ask a child to touch his private parts. You don't ask things like that. So I bottled that up inside 
and I kept that up inside. I never told nobody. Being rescued as a result of being featured on the Adam Walsh movie saved him from one nightmare. But what should have been a happy reunion with his mom turned into another bad break. Brian says his new stepfather soon created another abusive environment. How bad was the abuse? It got to a point to where bruises were popping up and staying for three and four days. And that's when it crossed the borderline to abuse. So eventually it got to be an abusive situation for my mom. She rolled out. She left. She grabbed us, packed us up, put us in foster homes, and said that, you know, she's going to get her place together. Brian was so happy. It was in Beulah Smith's foster home where Brian finally found the love and safety that he desperately needed. Beulah taught him what childhood was supposed to be like. Brian was very, uh, very intelligent, very smart child, but he didn't know what a refrigerator looked like inside. He didn't know what a telephone was at the age of seven. He had never used a telephone. Beulah gave him everything he needed, even his first Christmas presents. But as much as Brian loved her, when he was 13, he chose to go live with relatives in this rough Cleveland neighborhood. I went to Cleveland to be with my sisters, to have some sense of family, as I missed her. Okay, so I wanted to make sure that I included that interview for you all. I think it is fascinating, um, but also very wonderful that he was able to take um, what could have been a tragic ending and something that could have ruined his life and turned it into something so beautiful and able to share his story with the world and to reach out to children who have been abused or kidnapped or harmed in any way and donate his time and his money money and use his platform as a place to make sure that these issues are known and to try to get hope for children who are very much like him. 
so I wanted to thank you all for tuning into the show. I know this one is shorter than usual because there's not really a lot on his abduction, mostly because he's alive and well, thank goodness for that. Um, but I did want to cover that because I thought it was interesting and, and something that a lot of people didn't know. Um, I will be back next week. We will be covering da, 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 the happy face killer and talking about wrongful conviction. So I hope to see you back here again next week. Uh, remember, you can shop magsae.com for all of your edible needs. Use code HYBER, H-Y-B-E-R, to get 40% off your orders through the end of this month. And again, thank you for listening, and I will see you back here next week. <laughs>